Good morning. God bless you. Good to be here. And maybe they'll turn it down. I don't know. Maybe we'll just get there. We go. Fear not. That's the series. And it's one of those commands that it's like if you're afraid and someone just steps up and says, don't be afraid. Doesn't really help much, does it? You know, if you're worrying, someone said, don't worry. Like, how do you just stop? And so the, the idea behind this message series for this month is to unpack or discover biblical truths that actually enable us to not fear. Uh, and uh, last week we looked at fear not because God is present. And so that is a truth. The reality of the presence of God equips us, enables us, empowers us to not be afraid uh, in difficult circumstances. And today we're looking at, fear not, the enemy is defeated. Uh, and so let's just jump in. I'm going to start with a story from the Old Testament and found in 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, it's kind of long, so I'm just going to read through it. Uh, there's a lot of dialogue, so if I'd had time, we would have gotten people to act it out. I think it would be fun with different different dialects or different accents. But just imagine that as I'm reading through, since we're not able to do it. So now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Uh, and so the, the prophet would know where the Syrians were going to go and, and warn the king of Israel. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So the king would send out a spy, and sure enough, the Syrians would show up. And this didn't happen just once or twice. It happened many times. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this. Thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's the traitor here? Who's, who's leaking um, the information? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elijah, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. They knew that how that the uh, prophet was that skilled in, in, in discerning. And so he said, uh, the king replied, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. So therefore the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Oops, one too many clicks. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And so the prophet's servant, uh, uh, his servant said to him, the prophet, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And the prophet answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. 
It's a great story. Hopefully you're familiar with it. Um, and uh, often, uh, uh, you know, we find ourselves in situations where there's plenty of reasons to be afraid. Uh, the servant of the prophet had really good reasons to be afraid, right? His whole encampment, the city that they were in, was surrounded by the Syrian army ready to attack. And actually, they had come to get the prophet because he was telling the king of Israel uh, the battle strategies. And so uh, there were real reasons to fear, but Elijah told his servant, do not fear. You don't have to be afraid. Elijah knew the spiritual reality that the servant could not see. And there's a spiritual reality in every situation that we face. And sometimes we're like that servant. We just can't see it. The reality was that we're more who are with us than who are with the enemy, with, with them. Do not fear is the word that Elijah said to his servant. And this is what I'm saying to you. I believe it's the word of the Lord to his people today, right now. Do not fear. Why? Because the enemy is defeated. Don't react to the outward uh, natural circumstances, the worldly uh, posturing, the demonic assault. There's a real enemy, a spiritual enemy that we face. Uh, Don't react to the encampment we see around us. God's armies far outnumber the forces of the world, and the devil. Amen? No matter what army of problems you're facing, I ask that God's eyes, and you need to ask, you need to say, God, open my eyes to see the spiritual reality. And you know, I've I've, I've known about this passage. I've preached on it before. It's very famous. And I had always pictured it that the angelic army was surrounding the enemy's army. But it doesn't actually say that. And I dug in a little bit and read some commentaries and uh, uh, studied it a little deeper. The army of God, the angels, were surrounding Elijah. And there's a difference there. Ponder that for a minute. It's one thing to see all of the things going on in our world. And boy, you know what? Have you noticed? There's a few things going on, isn't there? There's the pandemic, there's the election, there's this and there's that. There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things that we can be afraid of. There's all kinds of um, strategies that the enemy, the world, and just life throws in your face to stir up an emotional response. And we want God to come in and surround them. But you know what? God sends his angels to surround us to protect us. And the Bible is very clear that God doesn't play favorites. He is not a respecter of persons, as repeated many times in Scripture. That means that the way God treated Elijah is the way God treats you. If you're a Christ follower, if you've given your life to him, if you are a son or a daughter of, of, of God Almighty through faith in the Lord Jesus, there is an army of angels standing around you, protecting you, whether you see them with your natural eyes or not. So wherever you go, do you notice they're following me? Can you see them? They're going over here. They go back. I believe that's true. Okay? I went through a series of 
years and experiences about 20 years ago, 15 to 20 years ago, where I really pressed in and I found some teaching about angelic presence and got to a place where there's a, there's the, there's a reality of angelic presence, and, and we need to believe that. Angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to, to those of faith. And, uh, and they, they, it's a communication of God's presence. And I really believe that we can trust in God's uh, protection in whatever circumstance and whatever type of enemy that we're looking to. And when we are in the midst of an onslaught from the enemy that wants to stir up fear, it's an opportunity, saints. It's an opportunity to press into the reality of your position in Christ. When you have the, uh, 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 when there's threats to fear, it's also an opportunity to uh, know who you are in God, that you're uh, hidden in God with Christ, that you have this special place, that your identity is a son of God, and He cares for you and He will protect you. It prevents you with a choice to become uh, overcome and cry out like the servant, Oh no, what shall we do? And there's so many people in the church today that they're seeing all of the uh, problems of the world and they just get worked up into a frenzy. Or you can respond and pray like Elijah prayed and say, Lord, open my eyes and see the truth and realize the enemy is already defeated before the battle even began. And you should read the rest of that story because the uh, prophet actually leads the Syrian army um, God causes him to come under a, under a form of blindness. And he says, you need to go this way, not th- that way. These are not the droids you're seeking. <clears throat> and he takes them to a, a place where they were surrounded by the, 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 Israel, the army of the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said, prophet Elijah, should, I, should we kill them? And the prophet said, no, don't kill them. Feed them. And so they gave them a feast. And uh, the soldiers of the Syrian armies was so flabbergasted, they never came back. Those soldiers never came back uh, and, and invaded uh, Israel from that point on. There was still war between Syria and Israel, but it's a great story. Uh, another story we find with a similar idea in a different time in the history of Israel, not that far off, but is found in Second Chronicles chapter 32. <clears throat> Uh, and this is concerning Judah, the southern uh, kingdom. And uh, it says, Beast, these are the words of King Hezekiah. Um, the, uh, oh, let me just read it. The, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. This is Hezekiah speaking to his people. Uh, be, do not be dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Same words that Elisha told his servant. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. This happened when Assyria, a different nation, came and surrounded the Jerusalem and besieged the city. And so the citizens who are living in, the, in Judah were trapped in their city, but Hezekiah stood up and said, listen, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Uh, There's more with us than with them. And he unpacks some more reasons why we don't need to be afraid. 
Uh, listen, whenever the enemy comes in, we have the same choice. Be strong and courageous or be afraid and dismayed. And it is a choice. Uh, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the emotion of fear, the reaction of fear is rational. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're in a situation where there is uh, bad circumstances, uh, where there is upheaval, um, it's okay to feel the emotion of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's a response that you choose to face the fear with strength. You don't need courage if there's nothing fearful. Right? You don't need courage when you're sitting at home watching movies on TV. Right? Playing Minecraft. Hanging out with friends. You don't need courage. You need courage when there's opposition, when you're being threatened, right? And you know, God gives us this wonderful gift of opposition and difficulties. Why? So that we can discover that he's with us and that the enemy's defeated and that we can step into our identity in Christ as sons and daughters of the living God and exercise courage. And courage gives you confidence. All right? And so that's where it's a choice. There's two truths that Hezekiah uh, highlights in his encouragement to the people of, of Judah. He says, God's armies outnumber the enemies. In every circumstance, God is the majority. Amen? So we don't have to worry about the vote. God is the majority. He will always win. The victory is his. Doesn't necessarily mean that every election result is, is the uh, uh, best circumstance in, in, in the morality and the reality of the struggle in our culture. It means that in the end, the kingdom and, and Jesus and the truths of God will work together for good and the kingdom will not be hindered. Does that make sense? All right? So yes, we pray that God would influence the hearts and minds of people, but we trust that whatever the outcome is, we need not fear, because God, the enemy is already defeated. And the enemy's strength, I like this, is fleshly. It's worldly, and that means it's limited, where our help is the Lord our God, who is eternal and omnipotent. He never gets weary. He never changes course. He never changes his mind, right? He never has to take a nap. He doesn't go on vacation. He is constant and unchanging, and we can have confidence. Why don't we fear? Because God outnumbers the enemy in every circumstance. Why don't we fear? Because the enemy's strength is flesh, and our strength is God who is eternal and omnipotent. And this is, uh, same idea is uh, explained by Paul in the New Testament where he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Love this passage. If you ever memorize, want to memorize a verse, this is a good one to do so. Um, we do not use <clears throat> uh, fleshly instruments of war. Well, what does that mean? Obviously, it means, you know, we don't use swords. We don't use guns. Uh, military power does not accomplish the purposes of God. Does God sometimes use military power to influence the, uh, the, the, the situation on planet Earth? Yes, the Bible is filled with stories, and, and even history is filled with stories of where uh, evil had to be opposed, and it was a proper thing for God to use uh, armies to defeat uh, tyranny. But... That's not kingdom victory. That's not the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's dealing with an outbreak of of evil in the world. There's a difference. The big battle that we're in is eternal, and it it isn't won through anything fleshly. So it means guns. Would you agree? Knives. When Peter cut off the ear of the guy in the garden... That was an example of this principle. Jesus was like, what are you doing, Peter, you knucklehead? Let me put that ear back on. We're not going to win through that strategy. There's a bigger strategy for the battle that we're in. Uh, they're mighty in God. They're not carnal. And so nothing carnal, nothing according to this world system will actually advance the kingdom of God. We have to use kingdom weapons to advance kingdom objectives. Does that make sense? Okay, and kingdom weapons are prayer, prophecy, faith, humility, righteousness, truth. These are the things. Sacrifice. How did Jesus conquer the devil? Did he arm wrestle him? What did Jesus do to conquer the devil? Huh? What did Jesus do to conquer the devil? He died on the cross. He sacrificed himself. It's the master weapon. Self-sacrifice. And when we sacrifice our own agenda for God's agenda, we will always be on the winning side. And it brings every idea into captivity to the purposes of Jesus Christ. John talks about this in his, uh, in his um, letter to the church. This is the Apostle John. This is written, the letters were written later. John uh, lived longer than any of the other apostles. And he writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So that's the big test. I'll, I'll unpack that in a minute. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now already is in the world. So the Antichrist is coming. Ah! Oh, he's been around for 2,000 years. Oh. 
Right? That's the reality. Spirit of Antichrist has been around. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Them being the, the Antichrist, as spirits of Antichrist, the spirits that are uh, at work in the world, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He knows. He who knows God hears us, and uh, he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Why can we not fear even though we face fearful things? Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the in the world. The world is defeated. Our enemies are defeated. And we need to stand in this truth. And that whole idea about uh, the false prophets in the past, actually until I prepared this message, I had always just kind of lumped that into this idea that every spirit who confesses Jesus Christ came in the flesh is of God. All right. And so what does that mean? Well, in the first century, uh, there was a, a heresy, a false teaching that was going around. Um, and it's kind of interesting. There was so much evidence of Jesus working miracles that, uh, that the error that became very popular in the first century was not that Jesus didn't work miracles or that he wasn't God, but that he wasn't a human. It was just like a, a spiritual appearance. Because he was so powerful and so many people had been healed and so many uh, testimonies of his miracles that some people began to believe, oh, he's just an ascended master is what we'd call it today. Um, or he was God appearing. But John says, no, listen, you need to understand the reality, the importance of the truth that Jesus came and dwelt physically in a human body, that he is God the Son who, uh, who took on humanity, he came and it was incarnate. He was the incarnation that God became man and he clothed himself in humanity, fully human, fully God, so that he could take upon himself the guilt and the shame and the sin of every man, woman, and child on planet earth. Why? Because he was sinless. And when he took on our guilt and our shame and died on that cross in our place, he took our guilt and shame, but he also took the power of sin that controlled mankind. And he took it to the grave. He buried it. But because he had no sin, sin could not keep him in the grave. The Old Testament has an image that says he grabbed the bars and tore the gates away. He broke out of hell. Because it could not hold him. He was more powerful. And he ascended from the dead. He rose again. uh, And demonstrated that he had the victory over sin. Over Satan. Over the world. And that whoever follows him. Whoever believes that Jesus is God the Son. Who became human and died for us. uh, And rose again and ascends and sits on the right hand of God and is Lord and Savior. Whoever believes that and commits their life, if you've done that, you are a believer. If you haven't, I challenge you to do that this morning. 
Believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, died on the cross for your sin, rose from the dead because he had power over sin, and offers you a life free from that power of sin. That's the message of the gospel. And if that's the message uh, that's being preached, that's the spirit of truth. And if it's anything else, it's a, it's a false prophet. And I always thought that that, only, that was limited just to that heresy of people who in the first century were preaching that Jesus was, was a God but not a man. But, you know, that just doesn't make sense for our day because I don't know of anybody that preaches that. All right? And the Bible is applicable all the time. So how does that apply today? Well, it's this understanding that if there's a prophet saying anything, if the primary message is something other than the gospel message, what I just explained, then it's really a false prophet. And false prophets today, you know, generally, yeah, yeah, they might be in church, and you might need to use that. You know, if someone came up and started preaching something wacky and contradicting the gospel, I wouldn't let them do that. Or you tune into some podcast, and they're preaching something that's not doctrinally correct about Jesus. Sure, they're off. But you know where the prophets are today? They're in the news. They're in the media. Have you seen anything on Facebook lately? How about that YouTube thing? <clears throat> all of those channels, all of those medias, all of those avenues, uh, and, and, and there's just there's so many of them, I can't keep track of them all. They're, they're filled with people giving us their version of truth. Right? So who do you judge to be trustworthy? Listen, this is the key. If their primary message is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, crucified, buried, risen, uh, if that's primary, you can trust that they're of God. If the message is not voc- focused on the victory that we have through faith in Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. We don't give them the authority in our lives. Does that make sense? Regardless of what they're talking about, whether they're talking about politics or they're talking about the pandemic or they're talking about auto mechanics, I don't care. Don't give them authority if they're not primarily saying you are uh, fearless. You can be fearless because the enemy is defeated. Jesus rose from the dead. And they're, if, they're, if they're saying anything that creates fear in you, it's not from God. That's from the enemy. Right? And it's okay to listen to have opinions on other issues. It's okay to be informed as Christians and as citizens. We need to be informed of the issues. But all that stuff is like static. And that needs to be a distant second influence from the influence of the message of Jesus Christ and the victory we have in him. Amen? Barnes, the same commentator I uh, referred to last week on this verse says, Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, God who dwells in your hearts, and by whose strength and grace alone you have been enabled to achieve this victory, is more mighty than Satan who rules in the hearts of the people of this world and whose seductive arts are seen in the efforts of these false teachers. Boy, you know, this guy lived in the late 1700s, around the time of the American Revolution. Can you imagine what he, how he would have described the seductive arts of <laughs> false teachers today with their media creations, right? Boy, how much more so this is true in our day. The apostle in this meant to say <clears throat> that it was by no power of their own, the believers, 
uh, that they were <clears throat> had achieved this victory. But it was traced solely to the fact that God dwelt among them and had preserved them by his grace. What was true then is true now. He who dwells in the hearts of Christians by his spirit is infinitely more mighty, not a little bit more mighty, but infinitely more mighty than, the, than Satan, and certainly infinitely more mighty than anything in this world, you know, or any individual, or any issue that you're facing. The ruler of the darkness of this world, uh, and victory, therefore, over all of his arts and temptations may be sure. In his conflicts, in the believer's conflicts with sin and temptation or error, the Christian should never despair, for his God will ensure him the victory. We fear not because the enemy is defeated. I'm going to close with this verse that we talked a little bit about last week. And I just kind of want to make this kind of like the refrain, the chorus of this uh, series of messages that we keep coming back to this idea uh, as a form of application, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so replacing fear, you need, you know, to replace something in your life, you have to put something else in its place. And when we remove fear, we, these are the three things, that God's spirit is a spirit of power. Uh, the Greek word for power is dunamis. It's power inherent in, in something by virtue of its nature. Um, and God's nature is reproduced in us. Greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. It's moral excellence um, and, and, uh, and uh, moral power and excellence of souls. And it's miraculous power. That dwells in you. Dwells in me. And we can rest and have confidence in that. And so think of a situation where you felt powerless recently. Or maybe in the next week or two, you're going to be in a situation where you feel powerless. You get laid off. You know, your business closes. or You know, there's a bad diagnosis or, or whatever it may be. You're going to feel powerless. And you need to realize that you're not powerless because God dwells in you. In the last uh, couple of months, I've had some tremendous things happen to me, tremendously unhappy, unpleasant things. I've mentioned a couple of them. Uh, this is the only time I've ever had a car accident. And I totaled my car. And I loved that car. It was only two years old, 2018. And I got a really great deal on it because it was used. It was a 2018. I bought it in 2018. It only had 4,000 miles when I bought it. And it was a great deal. And I loved it. It's got 52 miles a gallon. Can you believe it? And it was my fault. The accident. And it totaled. You know, that's not fun. And within a week or two, the biggest tree on our street, which happened to be in our front yard, I was sitting at my desk, probably preparing a sermon, I think. I was. I was working on a message. And a windstorm came. I watched my, this tree fall on my house. $30,000 worth of damage. It's still broken. It's going to take two months before they can fix it. And those are just the two big things. There's tons of little things have happened. Am I powerless in that? No. I didn't even complain. You know, when the wreck happened, I was like, oh, that's weird. I was like, how did that happen? We both got out of our vehicles. And we were like, 
how did that happen? I'm like, I don't know. Sorry. <clears throat> I said, the tree, the tree falls on me. No, I didn't go, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? I'm such an idiot. Those thoughts didn't even come through my mind. You know why? Because I'm not powerless. I'm empowered. Just to prove it. I got such a I got a I got a brand new 2020 car for the same price I paid for the old the used one. And the payment's like almost two hundred dollars cheaper. And it gets fifty-two miles a gallon. <laughs> and eventually my house will be fixed. It's gonna be a few months. All right. <clears throat> so you tap into the spirit of the power of God. Uh spirit of love. It's agape, it's benevolence, goodwill. You know, again, uh we 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 interact with people and sometimes it can be challenging. And you might want to hit them rather than love them. But the Spirit of God is in you. And you need to tap into that. I remember a situation this was a number of years ago. And this individual misinterpreted something I did. It wasn't even just something I said but because uh, I didn't say anything. It was just a, a, a behavior I, 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 I did. And they, they interpreted it in such a way. But the, the, the reason it stands out is they waited over a year to talk to me about it. And for a year, they just kind of sulked and, and had a grudge. And I could tell there was something going on, but they never brought it up. So I was like, you know, and they finally made an appointment and sat down. And they, they asked me why I was mad at them and why I didn't like them. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they explained the situation. And fortunately, I was able to remember the situation. You know, I had a choice then. Am I going to respond in love? Or am I going to go, you knucklehead, what are you thinking? You know, because the reality was, I wasn't what what they interpreted as being mean toward them was actually I was dealing with a whole bunch of problems at the moment, and and I was trying to solve something, and there was an emergency going on, and they misinterpreted my my terse behavior with uh, I didn't like them, but really I was just, I didn't have time to explain all the problems I was dealing with, and so I chose to respond in love by explaining to them and not getting angry and saying well, this is what really happened. You know what the relationship was restored. And you can respond in the same way. Why? Because the Spirit of God's in you and He has infinite love. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. And finally, a spirit of a sound mind. It's rational thought, uh, discipline, and being self-controlled. And so <clears throat> this happened uh, quite a few years ago when my son was still uh, younger. He was probably 12 or 13. And... Uh, um, uh, <clears throat> for whatever reason, his sister has, had left her ukulele out. And I was like, uh, William, could you put away the ukulele? And, you know, as any good 13-year-old does, he didn't. <laughs> and I come back 45 minutes later. It's still sitting there. I'm afraid it's going to get broke. I spent a lot of money on it. And I was like, uh, Will, could you put that in, in Emma's room uh, so it doesn't get broke? And then I go somewhere and I come back. Later, half an hour later, 40 minutes later, I don't know. And he still hasn't put it away, and he's playing with it. I walked up to him, and I grabbed him, picked him up, planted him against the wall. I said, when I tell you to do something, you don't put it off or play around. You do it. I walked upstairs into the kitchen where Kathy was. By this time, I'm shaking, and I was like, Kathy, I just really blew it. She was like, what? I just yelled at William for something really stupid. I was shaking. 
All right, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. I spend a lot of money to, for music lessons on this kid. <laughs> and he's practicing. <laughs> and I get mad at him. What, uh, what an idiot. Me. What, I, I had lost control, self-control. I wasn't rational. And so I went back downstairs after I took a breather. Hey, William, I got to talk to you. Listen, buddy, what I did to you was a thousand times worse than you not putting that ukulele away. And I have to ask your forgiveness because I blew it. And, of course, he was, oh, don't worry about it, Dad. I forgive you. And so that's an example of me losing self-control. And when that happens, you need to tap in to the Spirit of God and repent and learn, next time, I'm not going to do that. You know, when you feel frustrated, tap into God's power, and he can enable you to stand up to the enemy of frustration and not give in to it. 